pediatric with Department of Mental Health, the AOT Assisted Outpatient Treatment Program. I am the AOT coordinator. In most of these slides, you're seeing me more reference as the AOT FSP coordinator. Um, as we move along in the FSP transformation, I will be a main contact point for you guys for any of your AOT referrals or AOT enrolled clients while you guys are working with them. Um, my program manager, Linda Boyd, is also on uh, today's training and she'll be answering any questions that do pop up in the chat that can be answered quickly. Um, so welcome to the training. I wanna give you guys a fair warning. Um, there is a lot of material. I'm gonna try to provide you guys with everything you can know about the AOT program. Um, if you don't catch it all, that is okay. I'm always here to answer questions um, today and in the future as we move along with the change that is coming within the FSP transformation. I can't say much about the FSP transformation. All I know is that AOT is going to be part of the component. Um, those clients who are going to be referred to FSP is now going to be open for all FSP providers. Um, how that is going to really look and um, any details about that, I, I don't know at this moment. It's going to be information that comes later down the line. There are some components of this training that I took out um, as it relates to like S SRTS, um, how we're going to handle some things, and hopefully before we get there in a year, we'll have better answers for you guys of how that's all going to work. But today and in the next two days, it'll just be more um, about the program itself and, and some of our guidelines and expectations as a provider. Um, so today, day one objectives are um, how to define AOT statute and criteria, the explanation of programs and components, describe AOT referral process, the explanation of petition process, and describe providers' expectations for petition clients. I think I did say this, some of this material is gonna be a little dry, so please bear with me. Um, it's a lot, but I just wanna make sure you guys um, have everything, have the knowledge that you need as you um, as the future comes for and relate to AOT. Um, also, um, the material, the slides have a lot of material, but that's more that I don't want you guys to have to waste time writing a bunch of stuff down. Um, it's all here on the slide for the most part, and then anything else that comes up with the discussions as we do um, answer questions. So my first slide for you guys today is some common abbreviation and terms. Um, these are some words and terms that you're going to hear me say throughout the next three days. And I just kind of want to give you a reference at this point. So AOT is Assisted Outpatient Treatment. AOTLA is Assisted Outpatient Treatment for LA. It's the name of the department's program. ICD is Intensive Care Division, which was formerly known as Countywide Resource Management, CRM. AOT ONE team is the AOT outreach and engagement team. Extension is a term we use for clients who are going to be in the AOT program past the initial six months. Petition is used to describe our AOT court process. PD is for public defender. ERS is for enriched residential service facilities, which were formerly known as the IMD step downs. And Affian is a writer of the declaration and the individual who will testify in court for any of our court proceedings. Uh, declaration is a written document a licensed mental health provider completes um, declaring that the client meets the AOT criteria. Petition is 
the term we use to reference an AOT client who is being court ordered through the AOT court to participate in our program. And VSA is a voluntary settlement agreement, which I'll talk more about later and give you more detail on. Um, so assisted outpatient treatment is also known as Laura's Law. It's Welfare and Institution Code 5346 and I believe to 5348. Um, what is AOTs? Give me, sorry, I'm going to minimize some stuff here. Um, so former Assemblywoman uh, Helen Thomas authorized the Assembly Bill 1421 establishing assisted outpatient treatment demonstration project act of 2002 um, also known as Laura's Law. It identifies persons with serious mental illness and history of non-compliance, assesses if there is a substantial risk of deterioration, to, and it warrants detention under Welfare Institution Code 5150, which could be mitigated by provisions of appropriate services or mandated participation in such services. Laura's Law was initiated following the 2001 killing of Laura Wilcox, a receptionist who was shot by a man with untreated severe mental illness um, there was two other individuals who were also shot and killed during this incident. Um, she worked for Nevada County's Public Mental Health Clinic. Laura's Law is modeled on Kendra's Law, a similar statute that was enacted in New York in 1999. Um, what is AOTLA? It's, uh, so Department of Mental Health established the Assisted Outpatient Treatment for Los Angeles program to implement Laura's Law, we took on our first referral in May of 2015. As of September 14, 2020, the program has received 2,862 referrals in which 1,783 of those referrals were determined to meet AOT criteria. And at that time we had 46 pending referrals still. AOTLA is implemented with administrative oversight by the Mental Health Commission and various stakeholders. Department of Mental Health Emergency Outreach and Triage Division, EOTD, had operated the AOT and outreach engagement teams until 2020. The program is now part of the countywide engagement division. Um, as of this date, contract providers have treated the individuals through food service partnership services and enriched residential services facilities. With the upcoming FSP transformation, contracted and directly operated providers will be treating the individuals through FSP and ERS services. AOTLA expands interagency collaboration. We work with the Superior Courts of LA, County Council, Public Defender, Local Law Enforcement, public, um, Patient Rights, Consumer Family Affairs, I believe that's still their name, Disability Rights, and, and NAMI. Um, so the next two slides are going to go over some LA, um, AOTLA components, some um, groups that you will be working with in one way or another that I'll, I'll, I'll describe. So we have the AOT Referral Review Committee. They are a team, of um, a team made up of the AOT staff, the outreach staff, the program manager, myself, our psychologists and our psychiatrists. Um, we have ICD who joins in. We've had law enforcement such as RAMP um, join in, patient rights at times, um, consumer affairs at other times. We've even had our county council member part of our meeting, just depending on kind of the cases we are talking about. We meet weekly on Tuesday to review all referrals to determine if the AOT criteria is met. 
we, the uh, committee makes recommendations to pursue outreach and engagement and for further investigation for criteria. On some occasions, um, we're just not sure if the client will benefit or is appropriate for the program based off of the information we had obtained. So our teams might go out, meet the client and, and further assess in a face-to-face -face contact with them. Um, it, the committee also reviews disenrollment and petition requests from FSP and ERS providers. The second component of our program is the AOT Oversight Committee. They meet quarterly. Um, it's composed of specific members of the Mental Health Commission and community stakeholders. Mental Health Commission does run the Oversight Committee. The, the committee monitors the implementation and operation of the AOTLA. It represents a spectrum of viewpoints for planning and improvement, and it reports to the Los Angeles Board of Supervisors and other community stakeholders as needed. Um, your engagement with this committee may be that you're invited to these meetings. We do have different providers that get invited to be part of it and, and provide their, in, their insight to their engagement with the clients and, and the AOT program. The third component is our AOT outreach and engagement teams. Um, it is a DMH operated through Countywide Engagement Division, provides extensive outreach and engagement for a minimum of 30 days once the referral has been accepted. Um, they screen and assess for the appropriateness of the program and attempts to initiate voluntary agreement and mental health services for any of our AOT candidates, identifies appropriate level of care and completes referral to an FSP or ERS provider. They are the individuals that are going to identify which level of care the client should get within AOT. Um, there are many components that go into this and I'll talk a little bit more later to uh, later tomorrow about um, our ERS providers and what clients are actually appropriate for them. They also conduct warm handoff of clients and the assigned FSP and ERS providers. They initiate peti the petition process during the outreach and engagement phase if the client is voluntarily agreeing to services. Um, the team though does not provide any treatment. Our outreach and engagement engagement is purely outreach and engagement. We don't provide any um, treatment during that phase, no, long, no matter how long it takes. Um, the teams are made up of, currently the teams are made up of two full two team members with one of our offices having an extra individual. We have licensed marriage and family therapists, licensed social workers. We have um, associate social workers and I don't know the correct term anymore because it's been a few years, but what was marriage and family therapist interns. Um, we have an RN, we have LPTs, we have community workers. One of our community worker is also a substance abuse counselor. We also have a AOT psychologist and a part-time psychiatrist who works with us. Um, some background in regards to the psychiatrist we have on board. He um, will go out to see individuals on the request of our outreach team while the clients are in outreach and does prescribe medication when deemed appropriate. So um, that is the only type of form of treatment they will be getting while in our outreach phase and it's not every client. Uh, he provides um, he does the eval for clients who may have gotten medication probably from a hospital and there's no further prescription and they're not yet ready to be linked over to a provider. He's willing to go out and see them 
and if he deems it appropriate, he will prescribe the medication if they're willing to continue. Um, he will also prescribe medication for some of the clients who are, um, have a history maybe, but maybe they've been off for a month or two of their meds. Again, he'll, he'll evaluate the situation and he will prescribe if it's appropriate. Um, where we stay, where we probably don't mess with prescription is for individuals who are transient. He is concerned there is, um, there's no one to monitor them, the medication management. So usually transient individuals, um, we probably won't assist with the medication if, if we're trying to get them on meds. Um, we do have two offices that we operate out of, Little Tokyo Office, which services areas one through four. It's currently being supervised by Stacy Atkins, who's a licensed clinical social worker. Our second office is the Lomita Office, services areas five through eight. It is currently supervised by Malik Tate, who's also a licensed clinical social worker. The program manager for the ALT program is Linda Boyd, who's a registered nurse. Um, on this slide, you'll see their phone numbers as a future reference. So who can refer to AOT? Um, the next several slides that I'm going to go over are going to target the AOT statute as it relates to which individuals can actually refer to our program um, and what the criteria is for the program. So by statute, there are only, are, there is only a few individuals that can refer to us somebody who's a cohabitant age 18 or older, a close relative um, in regards to a parent, a sibling, a spouse, or a child over the age of 18, a director of the individual's residential care facility, a hospital director in which the client is staying at, a licensed mental health treatment provider. Um, so for those of you, if you have referred in the past, or if you might refer in the future for any clients, um, it needs to be somebody who is licensed. So again, if there's a wavered individual, they will need to attach their supervisor who is licensed to the referral. There's a spot on the top of our referral that asks us for supervisors. That way we can um, overskip the unlicensed portion, but case managers, uh, community workers that are working with the client would not be able to refer. So. Um, just license or if we get the supervisor of the license as it relates to someone who's um, wavered. Peace officers, so law enforcement and parole and probation officers who are assigned to supervise the individual are able to refer to our program. Oh, so this is just a, a picture for you to kind of see um, where are the referrals coming from in regards to those categories of individuals. So we, up till um, this month, we've had 1% that comes from a mental health institute, 19% uh, that comes from a close relative, 6% that comes from the law enforcement and probation, <clears throat> parole officer, excuse me, 0% that comes from the cohabitant, the roommate, We've actually only ever gotten six referrals under that category in the last five years. <clears throat> and 2% uh, is um, the referring party was not qualified. It was an unknown individual. Sometimes it's left blank, so it's marked as unknown. We, our staff does their best for any referral that's a not a qualifying referral to figure out a way to make it qualifying so we don't have to um, indicate that the referral is not appropriate at the time that we receive it. So they'll make phone calls to the referring party. 
figure out if there's a family member involved, if um, there's somebody who's licensed involved, that they find a way to try to make the referral acceptable at that stage of our evaluation. And as you can see, I think our team does a really good job because only 2% ends up falling under the not qualified category. And then a majority of all our referrals come from licensed mental health treatment providers, 72% of all referrals so far. Um, this is just a, for you guys to kind of see who within the community is referring to us. So we have PMRT, mental health housing. We have, um, Miss Smart and Met, Mail Have Jail Linkage, Whole Person Care, Law Enforcement, the community, which is like all the family member components, directly operated legal entities for outpatient and FSP providers, and home, and I believe the name is different, but I don't know the name off my head. Um, and again, hospitals. Um, so AOT criteria. Again, this is per statute in which the individual needs to meet every component to be accepted into our program. They need to be 18 years of age or older. They need to have a serious mental illness. Um, at this time, it needs to be a, there needs to be a recorded DSM-5 diagnosed. They need to be considered unlikely to survive safely in the community without supervision. The individual's condition is substantially deteriorating. This is, uh, this next piece is the bulk of our criteria um, is the, the individual needs to have a history of lack of compliance with treatment for individuals with mental illness demonstrated through at least one of the following. So they need to, in um, their, I'm sorry, their mental illness has at least twice within the last 36 months been a factor in necessitating hospitalizations or receipt of services in a forensic or mental health unit um, in, a in a local correctional facility, excluding any current hospitalizations or incarcerations. So basically in the last 36 months, they've had two or more documented hospitalizations due to their mental health or two or more forensic mental health um, episodes um, while they were incarcerated. And the current, if there's a, if they're currently being treated through a forensic episode or through a hospitalization and that was the second one, it does not count. Or um, they need to have, their mental illness had resulted in one or more acts of serious and violent behavior towards self or another or threats or attempts to cause serious physical harm to self or another within the last 48 months. And again, excluding any hosp current hospitalization or incarceration. So in the last 48 months, one or more serious acts of violent behavior threats or attempt to cause serious physical harm to self or others. This is an either or. So a hospitalization, two hospitalizations, two forensic mental health episodes, or one threat. One of those three needs to exist. Also, the individual has been offered an opportunity to participate in a treatment, treatment plan and fails to engage in treatment. AOT would be the least restrictive placement to support recovery and stability. The individual is in need of AOT in order to prevent relapse or deterioration that will be likely to result in grave disability or serious harm to self or another as defined in section 5150. It is unlikely that the individual will benefit, it is likely, sorry, that the individual will benefit from AOT. That is the full criteria. One additional note is that the person is believed to be reasonably in LA County.
County at the time that the referral is being made to us and investigating. So some terms that DMH came up with as it relates to the criteria. Um, sorry, I'm just minimizing the pictures of everyone. Um, so unlikely to survive in a community without supervision, uh, DMH's thought on this phrase is that um, the individual is unable to provide for food, clothing, or shelter in a manner consistent with preservation of reasonable physical health and safety. For example, exposed to easy victimization and or exposed to the environmental health dangers. Substantial deterioration is an exasperation of mental health problems associated with mental illness that is causing functional impairments as evidenced by inability to safely care for self or severe emotional distress. And likely to benefit, it's a clinical evaluation including the history and current condition of the individual. Um, we look for provided evidence that the individual has a treatable mental health condition as evidenced by previous good response to treatment or a clinical presentation that is associated with response to evidence-based practices. Um, this next slide is this, um, our, our staff kind of wanted you guys to be aware of some things that AOT is not or AOT cannot do. There's a lot of um, misinformation out there about the program and so just wanted to kind of give you some of this information. So AOT is not conservatorship and AOT does not lead to conservatorship. Um, we do not mandate medication. And we also do not have the authority to mandate involuntary long-term hospitalization. We also, during our referral process and while our outreach team and engagement team is working with them, do not provide crisis response. We're not, we don't respond to crisis. Um, our team members are LPS. And while they're out there doing their engagement with a client, um, and if the client presents in crisis at that moment, they will act and, and do what they need to to ensure that the client is safe and gets hospitalized if, ne if that's necessary. But they will not respond to a crisis call, you know, um, at any point during the day if, if that's not when they're out there with the client. Again, treatment is also not um, given to the individual during the outreach phase. Um, treatment starts when the client is enrolled with the FSP or ERS provider. Um, although AOT is an outpatient program, it is not voluntary in the way we think of other outpatient programs. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about this later on, but just for the moment, um, although we look for the client's voluntary agreement to participate in services unless we need to move, um, move forward with our court process, it's not voluntary as in if the client tells us no, we have a next step to approach that situation to try to get them into treatment, which is our court process. And even through the court process, um, the client is ordered to participate in treatment. They do have a choice on how they engage with us, but they are ordered to engage in treatment and at no point can, the can services just stop for an individual because the client said no. There are multiple steps that need to be taken in order for referrals to be closed or disenrolled, even when the client is indicating they do not want the services, so, which is why we indicate that this is not voluntary in a way we normally think of all our other outpatient programs. AOT does not place clients of, um, 
AOT does not place clients during the outreach phase. Placement comes with the assignment of providers. So this is again talking about maybe any transient clients. Um, we might try to assist some, with the, some emergency shelter if it's really needed because maybe the, the client's being at risk for victimization um, or maybe because of their health. But for the most part, all placement of an individual who is transient is gonna come when the provider is connected to them. Uh, this is just a workflow that you're going to see progress as we move along. Um, so the referral is sent to us, which is we have the criteria for who is who can refer to us. Then we check for if the client meets the criteria. So it's looked at by our outreach clinicians and reviewed and they present to the referral committee. We determine if the client meets criteria, which is slides 11 through 13. If the client does not meet criteria, we refer them to appropriate services. If the client is already connected to some form of mental health treatment, we refer them back to that treating provider and that treating provider will need to, to identify the next steps um, for treatment for the person. But if they're not connected to any services, then we do try to refer them off to appropriate services. Um, if the client does meet criteria, then the client is assigned to the respected office based off of the service area the client is in. An outreach team is assigned to them and they begin to engage for no less than 30 business days. At this point, I actually wanted to open it up for any questions anyone might have before we move on to the next section. Sorry, there's a question about what is the average length for AOT outreach? Um, so at a minimum 30 days, um, it could, our, our normal policy is up to 90 days, but some cases have taken longer, just depending on the circumstances, um, we have gone past 90 days. And this is for the outreach engagement teams outreach. So our next section is treatment options. We have two modalities within the AOT program. Um, AOT candidates are linked to outpatient treatment services through an expansion in the existing Adult Mental Health Service Act and community services and support programs. We have contracts with enriched residential services facilities, which are ERSs. We have a contract with three agencies. They provide us four sites. They have 60 slots. Um, there's a total of 60 slots for ERS. Uh, each agency has 20. Um, 20 slots. So we work with Gateways and they have Percy Village and Normandy Village, uh, SSG service, special service groups, and then telecare. And at the time being, again, this is going to change with the FSP transformation. We currently have um, FSP as one of our other treatment modalities. We have 15 agencies we work with with 22 sites with a total of 300 slots. Um, but with the transformation, it is now going to be open to um, all legal entities and directly operated FSP providers to take on AOT clients. Um, per statute, um, Welfare Institution Code 5348, providers are required to have a ratio of 10 to 1 um, for AOT. So just, I, I know you're all FSP providers, but within the AOT contract that we have in place at this time, um, I'm not too sure if this might be the same for the regular FSP contract. Um, we do have some goals within the FSP um, 
and some standards. So FSP providers provide comprehensive field-based intensive community-based mental health services for individuals who typically have not responded well to outpatient mental health and psychiatric rehabilitation services or may have avoided utilization of these services while incurring high costs related to acute hospitalizations or long-term care. Each FSP enrollee participates in the development of a treatment plan that is focused on wellness and recovery. The treatment team is available 24-7 to provide crisis service to the client and FSP services support the consumer as they transition to a lower level of care. Um, at this time, for ALT FSP, our goal is to try to transition them to a regular FSP depending on their age group or potentially even an um, outpatient level if the client is ready to step down that far. With the transformation, I think we do need to relook at what the next step would be um, from AOT. Um, I'm not too sure if what we're currently doing would still be necessary or not. So that's something to come down the line of what we're going to determine as the next level. Uh, enriched residential services. So ERS facilities are designed to provide supportive on-site mental health services with recovery-based intensive and supportive services in community housing. The program targets those individuals who require on-site mental health and supportive services to transition to stable community placement and prepare for more independent living. Each ERS enrollee participates in the development of an individualized plan focused on recovery and wellness principles that includes activities and services and services that will promote successful reintegration into the community. The goals of the program. So per the contracts that they exist right now, the goals for um, within our two treatment modalities are that the FSP services are to help clients and families increase their ability to function at optimal levels and independently where appropriate with a commitment to do whatever it takes to help the progress towards recovery and wellness. In regards to ERS, um, the goal is for services to promote the successful reintegration into the community. We a while back were working with our providers on what goals we see for our ALT clients as they work through the program and what we would justify as meeting um, necessary goals to graduate from the program. So we have um, in ways of serving higher risk individuals that there's a reduction in hospitalizations, a reduction in jail days, reduced contact with police, reduced homelessness, um, reduced statements and behaviors leading to threats to self or others. In regards to trying to improve the quality of life for our clients, um, we're identifying increase in completion of ADLs, reduced number of AWOLs from living facilities. This kind of pertains more to our ERS or potentially um, boarding. Um, boarding cares, increase in medication compliance, increase in attendance of appointments, increase in participation in treatment. Um, all three are major factors for the AOT program, even kind of, you know, part of our criteria. Uh, increase in appropriate interactions with family, significant others, treatment team, and or community members. Um, this is another big one for a lot of our clients. They um, will just stay in their room or in their house and not engage with anybody. There's a large number of clients who interact in this way. So seeing a, a change in that behavior um, and reduce number of days, again, reduce number of days of isolation or withdrawal. So the next section is referrals and outreach. Um, so 
this is more about referring to us, but I just want you guys to kind of know um, some of this information. So uh, the link that's on here is where you can find the most updated ALT referral. It's on the DMH website. Um, the referral is two pages. It needs to be completed um, in total. Uh, it is a paper referral. We do not do SRTS um, to accept our referrals. It either has to be faxed or emailed, um, which is provided on the four uh, tab. So um, I talked about the licensed clinician already and unlicensed clinician. Um, we can easily skip over an un a wavered individual if you provide your licensed supervisor's name as well on the referral. Um, effective November 1st of 2018, um, all enrolled FSP clients who are being referred to the AOT program does need to complete the paper referral and either fax it or email it in. Um, if the client is approved, then the FSP provider will be informed and asked to complete a new SRTS in which they send it to their service area navigator who will then send it to the AOT FSP coordinator. Um, the, the SRTS does sit and wait while our team does outreach and engagement, and then you guys are notified um, if the client has been enrolled with one of our providers. Um, again, this, this may change as um, SR, SRTS may change when we get to the FSP transformation. At this time, the AOT program has six different SRTS workloads that we utilize throughout the time the client is with us. I'm sure we'll see some changes to that um, at, as we come along with the FSP transformation. And then if the client is not being referred from FSP, then um, the individual who is referring just needs to fax or send it as well, um, the paper form. This is what our referral looks like. Um, we ask for the referring party's information. We ask for the client's information. Uh, the client's current living situation, we always like that if the client's in jail or in the hospital that you still, if they had an address, you still provide us what the address would be so we know where to find them in case they get out. Insurance information, uh, benefits, we have uh, high risk concerns such as history of accessing weapons um, or having access currently, any history of fire setting or if they're a registered sex offender conservatorship history, substance abuse history, compliance and medication. Um, if the client is currently connected to a provider, we like the information for them. The second page is our criteria, how we determine if the client actually meets criteria for us. So we look for arrests. Again, we're trying to identify um, if there's any forensic mental health episodes within those arrests, uh, hospitalizations, um, acts of serious violence towards self or towards others, um, the immediate risk and safety concerns, the unlikely to survive safely in the community, there's open boxes, and as well as history of non-compliance with treatment. We always welcome individuals to provide any more supporting documents. Um, what's provided on the referral forms is not just what we go off of. So if they do come missing some information or what's provided is not enough, we do call the referring party and try to follow up with them to get more info. Now, if, they, if we can't reach them and there's still not enough on here and with our own investigation looking into IBIS, then we do not accept these referrals as being incomplete. So we do ask that everybody um, provides as much as we can, as much as they can.
So referrals to providers. Um, once our team has outreach to the client and, and the client has voluntarily agreed or maybe they've been court ordered, um, then our, our staff makes a determination of what level of care is appropriate. So in regards to FSP, they will complete an SRTS and, and transfer it over to the AOT FSP coordinator um, and then I identify appropriate provider and send it off. So again, that um, will determine what that process looks like in the future with the transformation. But the SRTSs are created by the outreach team and then will be referred over to a provider through SRTS. In the SRTS, we do have a referral packet that's attached. In that packet, you'll find the AOT referral form. Again, we do not utilize the FSP form. We have our own form that identifies our criteria. Um, there's an initial investigation. It's two pages that um, front page is check boxes to say that the criteria is met. The second page provides additional details to the criteria that we found. Um, there's administrative forms such as consent, PFI, privacy practice um, form. There's a med Medi-Cal eligibility verification. There's a service history and COS and progress notes and a minute order if the client has been petitioned. Um, we currently operate with sending an email out to the providers, um, the, whoever the supervisor or the lead might be for that agency, as well as the outreach and engagement team members. Um, in that email, we'll provide where the client's currently living, who the outreach team is that the provider needs to reach out to to conduct the handoff. Um, and sometimes if there's any important information that the provider should be aware of, like if they are a registered sex offender, if they have any recent history of violence, um, if there was a recent hospitalization, that information is given on the email so that the providers are, are well aware of the situation of the client. Um, before they kind of get started. So the outreach and engagement by the FSP, it is, is field-based. Um, once a referral is received by the provider, the team, the team has the assigned providers to contact the outreach and engagement team member to schedule a warm handoff between themselves, the outreach team, the provider, um, and the client. The provider is not to reach out to the client on their own. The outreach team has a history with the client and potential any significant others. They've been working with them. The outreach team will act as a, a support between the client and linking them to the providers. So they should reach out first to the outreach team and allow the outreach team to schedule the handoff before the provider ever meets the client for the first time. Um, we, we do have the same um, obligations in regards to the response time, so 24 hours if the client is in an acute psychiatric hospitalization and 72 hours if the client is in the community to respond to the referral. Uh, again, the services being offered is not voluntary. The provider needs to be careful in not indicating that the AOT program is voluntary and that the client has a choice. Um, the client has already been informed this from the from the outreach team. If the client voluntarily agreed to services and the client was linked to you guys without a, a court order, um, we don't want providers to then go say, this is your choice. You know, you can participate with us. You cannot participate with us. That is not accurate because if the client does not participate with us, 
we will move forward with the court process. Um, so we want providers to be very careful in how you approach your clients during the outreach phase um, in regards to services being voluntary. Because again, we do not we do not within AOT see this as a voluntary service in that sense. Um, upon completion of the first handoff, the provider is to form the outreach and engagement team if a second handoff is requested and if the client becomes if not, the client becomes a responsibility of the provider. We do do more than one handoff when necessary. Sometimes a client will not cons um, consent to services at the first contact. They're, they're iffy, they're not ready to really meet with the provider. So our team will go out there again and try to bridge the two together. Um, or sometimes, unfortunately, our clients are under the influence and really can't provide any consent. Um, our consent process is verbal as well. They do not need to provide a written consent. So verbal consent is allowed and, and if they verbally consent then the provider should begin. In, in regards to the outreach and engagement, um, unlike a normal FSP where you guys have a window to engage the clients, AOT does not provide for that window. Um, the expectation is that at the handoff, the providers are ready to enroll the clients. Um, so when you inform the client of the services your program has and who they will be, could be working with um, and, and client agrees, um, then you guys should be ready to have any paperwork signed if the client's willing to sign and begin your intake process. Um, we do allow for maybe the intake to be scheduled for the following week, but we do not um, expect you guys to draw out the an outreach with them because they have already been outreached by the outreach and engagement team. So these clients are ready to go. Now, if the client says no at that outreach, then you guys try again and our outreach is there with you guys trying again. And if the client continues to say no, then we, we think about the petition process. Um, but again, uh, there is no outreach for the actual FSPs. You guys are expected to get started the moment the referral is made to you guys. Um, so, in regards to homeless clients, um, FSTs are responsible for doing street outreach. You guys have the ability to utilize flex funds. Um, incarcerated clients, we want you guys to collaborate with jail linkage team. Um, outreach is done in jail. Client may be a conditional release or even a diversion case to AOT FSP. Part of um, diversion AOT is a component in which a client can be diverted to. So we do have, we don't have many, but we do have some that come through. Um, this is penal code um, 1001.36. It was the Senate Bill 215 that was effective as of June of 2018. Um, we also have a good number of clients who are just conditionally released to us. And again, this isn't the has nothing to do with our court process, but these are clients that we deal with coming from the court system um, who are gonna come into AOT who are appropriate for AOT based on our criteria. The provider is responsible for transportation from jail and a provider is responsible for housing and placement when it's needed. Um, in regards to clients who are hospitalized at the time the referral is made to you, um, providers are to respond within 24 hours of the referral. And again, you guys need to make the contact with our outreach team first to go out and see the clients. Um, if the county hospital, if it's a county hospital, you guys need to work closely with the DMH liaison after the handoff is done for discharge planning and following um, 
following the, in following the handoff. Again, uh, you guys are responsible for housing and placement and transportation within the hospital upon discharge of those that are needed. Um, right now, for incarcerated clients and hospital clients due to COVID, there are some restrictions, um, and, and you know we kind of work around it. We have some ways um, in regards to the hospitals, uh, county specifically, they do allow us to. Um, some have allowed us, I believe, to go in, and some have allowed us to do uh, video conferences with the clients so we can see them. So there's still ways to see the clients. Um, incarcerated clients were allowed to go to jail um, still as well. So there are some restrictions, but there's some way to get around them at this moment with the referrals when they're being made. So provider responsibilities in general for our clients who are voluntary into the AOT program and our clients who have been court ordered into the program. Um, you guys do need to contact the outreach and engagement team for the handoff. Again, you need to be prepared at the handoff to complete and have the client sign documentation and complete the assessment. Again, verbal consent is acceptable within AOT. Um, if consent is given and the assessment is not able to be completed because maybe the client, um, you couldn't get past, you know, 15 minutes or 30 minutes with the client at that handoff or you, you schedule the handoff for um, the upcoming next week and client in a show. Um, you guys do need to outreach to the client for a minimum of 30 days prior to requesting for any cancellation of the referral if you're not able to locate the client. So we expect that you're making phone calls to any available phone number for that individual, um, going out to look for the client at any known locations or, or residents, um, checking about if they've been hospitalized or checking to see if they've been picked up and are in jail. Um, we ask that there is a minimum of one physical outreach per the four weeks that you're trying to reestablish where the client is and outreach to them. Um, now, if the provider needs to continue outreach for a client who's declining services after the handoff, um, but prior to an enrollment, they do need to do that outreach also for 30 days and the same attempts need to be made making the phone calls, going out to any known locations and checking the system for hospitalizations and, and any arrests. And again, the same, thinking of a minimum of one physical outreach per the four weeks to try to re-engage the client back into services before you can make any requests um, for a cancellation of the referral. Um, as I mentioned a little earlier, um, no referral or enrolled client may be closed or disenrolled without the authorization of the referral review committee. So if your team thinks you're at a place where you need to disenroll or have the referral canceled, you do need to bring it back to, to me as the AOTFSP coordinator um, and I will take it to the committee for a discussion on what we think the next step is for this case. Um, your request may not always lead to a cancellation or a disenrollment of the individual. You may be asked to take further steps. Um, continuing to provide a responsibility is just, again, working with discharge teams as it relates to hospitals and jails while they're in outreach, um, while you had to receive the referral or after the client has been enrolled. Um, discharging from inpatient settings, so identifying housing or providing transportation um, back to their placement and then working with families. Um, so again, HIPAA does protect the patient's information. It does not prohibit the family from sharing information with the team. 
So we do ask that you take the phone calls and that you listen. You might not be able to give them any information about treatment, but you can listen to the families. And within AOT program, unlike other, other programs, um, if the family is involved, they know who you are. They know you are the provider and they probably even know who the therapist is. It's just the way the AOT program works because typically with handoffs, you're gonna be handing them off with the family present. So it's not that the treatment or the treatment provider is a secret and unknown to these families. So please take their phone calls and listen to whatever information they have to provide. But again, if the client says you can't release information, then you can't release information. Um, and then um, again, consider any support resources for family. So cooperation with hospitals. Um, I know hospitals are sometimes difficult to work with as in regards to discharge planning and knowing when your clients are being discharged, but we still really want you guys to be as collaborative as you can with the hospitals. So do pre-arrangement coordinating with the hospitals to discharge plan or case manager to arrange for discharge time. Uh, pre-arrange the placement for the hospital discharge, request for seven days of medication from the hospital at discharge. Um, the day of discharge, you know, arrange for two staff to pick up the client if you guys are transporting the client. Um, Upon discharge of the client acts out, immediately request for hospital assistance and then gain consent for the client if they're gonna be entering your car, especially if it's a brand new client. If the client refuses the FSP and wants to leave the hospital on their own or um, there are two options, let the client leave, you know, if he or she is not assessed to be a high risk and if they are assessed to be a high risk, then, you know, call for police assistance. Um, again, you guys probably have all had you know, safety in regards to being out in the field and driving clients. So the last two are just indications of, you know, driving in the car with a, a passenger who's a client. Um, so this is the continuation of our workflow. Um, we last stopped with the engagement by our outreach team um, lasting at least 30 days. Um, once they've engaged, we inquire, does the individual accept voluntary mental health treatment? If they do, then we move on to our AOT outreach and engagement staff referring the AOT coordinator for FSP or ERS linkage. Um, and from that uh, referral, then the AOT and outreach team coordinates a warm handoff with the, SRT, the ERS or FSP provider. Um, if they do not accept voluntary mental health treatment, we will be getting into the next phase of our process. Any questions or answers that relates to this past section? Yes, we have a couple questions. Our first one was how many clients are former or current AB12 foster youth? Do you have any idea about that? I don't have a number, but I'm going to say not many as we don't get a lot of um, younger individuals were kind of our client population is probably in the late 20s into their 40s um younger ones don't come by too often and then another question is although services are not voluntary consent to participate is still required is that correct um we do we ask for their consent and again if they don't give their their consent when they're a voluntary um, 
when we start off on a voluntary level, the client was agreeable to our outreach team and, and we're trying to link them. If the client, we want to try to get the client to consent. And, and again, they should because they already were consenting. Um, if they don't consent, then we move on with our pro process as it relates to a petition. Now, if they're court ordered, they do not need to consent. Um, if, if we've gone through our process, the petition was granted and they have become court ordered to participate in AOT, a consent is not needed as we now have a minute order of them needing to participate in services. Um, their second part to the question is providers should move forward with attempting to obtain consent if the client refuses, but I believe that relates to requesting a petition if they refuse and they were agreed to voluntary at the start. Is that correct? Yeah, um, you do the out when once you complete your handoff. If a handoff's not always completed, and our our staff will step in if that's the case. But if the handoff is completed, and um, for some reason something goes haywire, and you do not get them enrolled, you are to outreach them for thirty days before bringing it back to us to ask for a petition. Thank you. And then Katrina asks. A well, she comments, this is different how we provide FSP. Are we now AOT operating under these guidelines? And if so, are we reporting to our DMH navigator or to AOT or both? So a complicated question there. That is going to fall under with the FSP transformation. And right now, those type of answers aren't really known on um, you're going to be communicating with both, I'm pretty sure, but what portions goes to who, um, I don't know. Uh, definitely the stuff related to the AOT program, um, logistics will definitely more probably come to me, um, but the navigators are still going to be involved in some way, I'm pretty sure. Um, it is different than how FSP works, um, which is why we, we want to put this out there for everybody and make sure everyone is aware because um, my understanding as they're talking about the FSP transformation, any FSP provider will be able to get any form of an FSP client, which includes AOT. Um, so your agency might have one to maybe five clients who knows what you guys might have because um, there are many providers out there but you will you can possibly end up with an AOT client which means that client um, services and, and requirements may be different than the rest of the clients you're dealing with at that given time um, so everybody just needs to be aware um, of the understanding and expectations within AOT and how you would approach that specific client because it is going to be different than how you probably approach the rest of your FSP clients who will be on a voluntary level in which they need to give you consent to participate. But hopefully there'll be more answers about the transformation, you know, in the months coming. <laughs> and then Alana or Elena, sorry, asks, is there suggested wording for how to describe the program with it not being a voluntary program? We have, we, I mean, uh, we definitely could get something out there for everybody. Uh, we don't have something at the moment written up, um, but we can put something out there that could be more helpful for all providers. And then Emily, our last question for this section, we'll have another chance to 
finish up with the other questions is, what has the department done to reach out to hospitals and mandate that they work with AOT providers when clients are hospitalized? I know that there has been discussions, but I don't think much has happened. Um, Linda, do you wanna unmute yourself if you have any information? We have been meeting um, and we met in the court with the, uh, the heads of the county um, psych ERs to try and work with them. Some of us work with us uh, a little better than others. We also have provided uh, AOT meetings in hospitals to explain the program, to explain what we're trying to do. Um, and so we've done that in several private hospitals, but it's something that keeps to that that needs to keep happening. The other thing is right now with COVID, they're not they're not holding on to a lot of any folks for a long period of time. Um, but we have been working with the doctors at the psych the county psych ERs. Um, to be on board with us. And also when you're working with those clients, if you're in contact with the social worker at the hospital all the time, you let them know the discharge plan, they're much more likely to keep the client and stabilize them longer as long as they know they're not gonna be the ones who have to worry about placement upon discharge. So that, that has helped. And we stay in constant contact with the hospital when our clients are hospitalized. That is, that's all within us as a program. So those are our expectations of you guys as a provider to make sure you're doing for your enrolled clients. Um, and then even our outreach team does while our clients are in the outreach, they do that same level of being engaged with the hospitals. Um, but Linda, do you know if the department itself as a whole has any discussions with hospitals about those issues? I don't know that, but there are no talks to my knowledge. So our next question is, what is the AOT transformation from Stephanie? Um, well, so not AOT transformation, but the FSP transformation that is coming for all providers, um, I believe with next fiscal year, um, which just is, I can't, again, I can't say much, um, but it, I believe it's a, it's a new model, um, staff, rate, staff, ah, staff ratios, um, the what the team makeups are. Um, it's not going to be a slot capacity um, anymore, from my understanding. So there's a lot of change that's going to come within the F, within the FSP program as a whole. Um, come I guess next next fiscal year, but um, myself, I don't know what it is. Those are, those are the little things I know from um, early on when they were talking about the transformation. Yeah, and PMHP is working with DMH on that. So we'll try to help expand on that once we collaborate more with them as things were pushed back due to COVID. Um, and then someone's asking, what is the success rate for AOT? Oh, I don't think I have a number on that, but um, we do have some very successful cases. Um, we do have, unfortunately, some cases that did not work out. Uh, it is a, it's a big give and take, um, but m more than half percent of our clients who are enrolled in services are enrolled on a voluntary level. We never needed to use the court system to get them to participate in treatment, even though they had a long history of not participating. Um, 
So I think that's a positive. We have them graduate from our programs, step down into the next level of services, all on their own free will be, well, I won't say free will because, but all being on a voluntary level. Um, those clients who do get court ordered, um, it might be, maybe we're at a 50-50 between those that we get through the system, they participate, um, they're able to step down and go to the next level of care and those that um, we, there's a small percent that I would say just will not do anything, no matter what, even with the court system being involved. Um, I wanna say that's a very small percent that we just have no follow through no matter what. But overall, we do have, we do have success. Um, we utilize the black robe effect um, in hopes that it will get the clients to participate in services. And again, for the most part, it does. The black robe effect even um, has an effect on individuals who are on a voluntary level because again, they're participating because they've already been told about the court process and they do not want to get to that level. So they participate in services on a voluntary level. Um, just trying to think real quick. So something I think I might have missed out on earlier um, is just, uh, so um, one thing I just, I want to know before we actually move on, um, these cases that AOT get, they are difficult cases because again, these clients have a long, typically always have a very long history of mental health treatment and they have a long history of not being compliant with services. Um, so they are difficult to engage in treatment. Um, but again, I think the fact that we're able to get majority of them to participate on a voluntary level without having the court um, is a positive success rate for us. Um, but these are difficult cases. And again, you probably see some of them in your own FSP programs at times, but they are clients that um, they truly are difficult to engage in. Probably dur during your six months working with them, you um, you probably be doing a lot of rapport building um, with them and, and just trying to meet their regular daily needs than providing any form of treatment. I often tell um, our current providers that AOT is not so much a sense of therapeutic treatment. Um, yes, med support, but it's probably a lot more case management. These are clients who are not engaged in treatment, have not been engaged in treatment, and you're going to be providing a lot of case management support and rapport building to get them at a level where, you know, hopefully in six months or maybe longer, um, they'll be able to get to that therapeutic level and start working at, at that level with, um, with your team or maybe a new team. A good number of our clients who are in the program are in the program longer than six months. Um, Petitioner-wise, typically it's probably a year that they're petitioned for. Um, even on a voluntary level, they're in the program for probably a year. They've all been extended. Um, I'll probably talk a little bit more about this tomorrow. I'm trying to rack my brain if, if I have it, but just wanted to put that out there and there'll be a little bit more discussion tomorrow as it relates to it. And then let me ask one question. Um, 
So uh, Elena was talking about if a client starts out at a voluntary level but becomes non-compliant, does the court become involved? Yes, and I that is our next portion, so we'll we'll get to that. But it is a yes. Yes. Um, are there different criteria for ERS AOT and FSP AOT? The criterion to the program, no. Um, who is appropriate for an ERS? Yes. And tomorrow we will be discussing um, ERS level and care as it relates to AOT and what clients we can make a referral over for or which clients would actually be accepted by them. All right. Um, and then another one is what's the consequence for not following through? I think that's in relation to following through with the treatment plan or the court order there, I'm not sure exactly. So on a voluntary level, the consequence would be we start looking at a petition. Um, on a petition level, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in the next half hour or so. And our very last one is uh, from Gary who says, I know this might not have been cemented yet, but you mentioned that it will be based off a of staff ratio rather than capacity. Will providers be getting additional items to form a team? I believe there are some directly operated programs that do not have a designated FSP team, but rather it's shared among their current outpatient staff. A major downside of that is FSP clients will get lost in the shuffle with output clients. Will those be restructured or mandated to form designated FSP teams as well? Again, I won't be able to answer that. I just know um, they, they want to move away from slot capacity, um, but how they plan to implement that, I'm not the person at the moment that be able to answer that question. So this next section, um, which is also our last section for the day, um, is related to petitions. There's a small portion of the petition process I will be leaving for day three. Um, but majority of everything will be discussed today. Again, it's going to be a lot of material and I hope I cover it all. Um, we are at the moment have had a lot of changes within our court process. Um, every week brings something new to the table for us and, and we're trying to figure out solutions and, and ways to work um, within our court system. So right now, this is the latest way we are working with the petition process, but by the time you guys might come on board with us, um, this, this process may have changed a little bit. Um, not a lot of room to move because uh, the statute is the statute, but there are different interpretations of it, and so we adjust as we need to. Um, so let's please bear with me. Um, okay. So just a petition overview, uh, um, sorry. AOT has the ability to file a petition with the Superior Court of Los Angeles. Um, a petition, the court may order a person who is subject of a petition filed to obtain assisted outpatient treatment if the court finds by clear and convincing evidence that the facts stated in the petition filed are true and established that all of the requestee criteria are met. Um, that is basically what the court is looking for when we bring them a, a potential petition. 
Um, the next five piece, uh, items are just some standard items as it relates to our petition process. Moving my screen around. Um, at the time of the filing, the client continues to meet the AOT criteria. This is important to note, um, as a previous question just asked, um, if you guys have an enrolled client and say maybe at four months or maybe at their eight month mark, you extended them, they started receiving services and they're deteriorating, we can petition the client at that time. What we need to double check before we really begin that process is does the client still technically meet the AOT criteria? Um, the nine criteria I mentioned earlier today, I believe slide 11 to 13. The referral to AOT was made by an appropriate referring party. So again, we need to make sure that that is clear that an appropriate referring party um, referred the client to us. The affiant must provide facts that support the belief that the client meets each criterion. The petition hearing shall be limited to the facts stated in the petition. Um, the client has the right to be represented by counsel at all stages of the proceedings. The petition shall be accompanied by an affidavit of a licensed mental health treatment provider who shall state either of the followings. Um, that the licensed mental health treatment provider has personally examined the client no more than 10 days prior to the submission of the petition and indicated how the client meets the criteria, recommends AOT, and that the licensed, oops, our licensed mental health treatment provider is willing and able to testify at the hearing on the petition, or they indicate that no more than 10 days prior to the filing of the petition, the licensed mental health treatment provider has made appropriate attempts to elicit the cooperation of the client, but has not been successful in persuading the client to submit to an examination. The licensed mental health treatment provider has reason to believe that the client meets the criteria for AOT and that the licensed mental health treatment provider is willing and able to examine the AOT candidate and testify at the hearing on the petition. Um, so court oversight. Um, this is some information about who we work with as it relates to the court system. So court jurisdiction. Uh, it's Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles. We work out of the Hollywood Courthouse, um, attached to their address, 5925 Hollywood Boulevard in LA. And we work out of Department 103. Uh, we just recently moved to this department uh, probably within last month or two. We were previously at 95A um, at the Mitchell Courthouse. Our court team is the Honorable Judge Lisa Jasko. She is newer to our program, um, came on board and I believe in about May of this year with us. Um, our county council member is Craig Kirkwood Jr. and our public defender is Nancy Colacontronis. Oh um, she has two social workers that work under her, uh, Christopher Lee and Katrina Torres. Um, in regards to the core team, County Council is a representative for the Department of Mental Health. Um, they are, he acts as our attorney in when we want to petition individuals. He also kind of acts, I guess you can say in a way, the attorney for the providers. Um, as we further go along with the slides today, um, you guys will become part of the court process um, when we, when we, Repetition individuals when we feel like they need to remain under the court order for an additional six months. Um, you guys are do become part of that process and 
he technically is representing what you guys want. So he acts as our attorney on the mental health side. Um, the public defender is the client's attorney. You will need to work with her as well as, as your client is her represent, she's there representing for your client. But um, you guys are kind of acting between the two different councils. Uh, our court is, is collaborative. Um, we try to work together with one another and um, to ensure the, the best care for the client. Um, but each attorney does have, um, sorry, I lost what I was trying to say. Uh, each, each attorney does have their job that they're trying to do to ensure um, the best for all parties. So um, we act between both, but um, each one has their own role. Uh, in regards to date and time, AOT court meets every Friday and our court starts at 1.30 p.m. Um, so who can be petitioned? So we have two different times in which a client can be petitioned. So we have during the initial outreach and engagement with our outreach and engagement teams. Um, if the client refuses to accept treatment and client's condition is substantially deteriorating, then our outreach teams will request for the client to be petitioned. Um, when this happens, when the client's being petitioned during the outreach phase, a provider is not assigned until the court has granted the petition. Um, so you guys won't come on board until after the fact. Uh, usually our teams will work for 30 days to try to get convince the client to agree on a voluntary level of treatment and if they continue to decline over those 30 days, then our staff will move forward and ask for um, our team to petition the individual. The second time that the client can be petitioned is during um, actual enrollment, and, sorry, not during enrollment, during actual treatment with the provider. So um, client was enrolled maybe could be maybe a month later after enrollment, five months later at the second extension. So maybe at the nine month mark, the client is now refusing treatment, doesn't want to participate with you guys telling them, telling you to leave them alone and come to their home. Um, every negative thing you can think of, they might tell you at times that they don't want to see you or participate with you anymore. Um, and if they are considered to be substantially deteriorating, then you guys can request for a petition to occur and we have a process of how you would make that request. So um, the next few slides are, um, sorry. So the next few slides are about how you guys would refer for a petition when the client is already connected to you under AOT on a voluntary level. Um, so after 30 days of client's refusal or decline to engage the, in the treatment plan you guys have created, and upon reasonable belief that there is a need to file a petition, the provider can complete the petition request form, um, which is a, on the side of the picture of what the form looks like. Um, you will also need to provide all clinical progress notes, billable and non-billable notes, and email um, the notes as well as the form over to the AOT FSP coordinator, which at the time is me. So this is just to show you a closer up of our petition request form. It provides the client's uh, general information, the provider's, uh, the requester's name, who's not always necessarily the therapist. So we also ask for the therapist, because sometimes it's the supervisor who's sending it over, just depending on how the agencies want to operate. Um, we ask for the date of admission, the number of face-to-face -face sessions. We want to, we want to, um, 
want you guys to provide the exact number of attended face-to-face -face sessions, the date of those sessions. Um, so we, we, we do want you to include all the dates, but I do say if the client has been in treatment more than six months and just provide the last three months worth of dates. Um, again, I have the notes to kind of fall back on to look at. Um, sometimes there is a lapse between the enrollment date and ongoing sessions. Um, I'm always a little baffled on the rhymes or reason that might happen, but sometimes it might be the client was in jail. So, or the client might have been in a hospital for a month, which, which makes sense. So if there is a lapse between enrollment and when sessions really start kicking off for the client or sessions start being refused by the client um, due to a lapse of like a month of no contact, then that box is there to explain that rhyme or, re you know, that rhyme or reason of what happened. The number of sessions scheduled that the client refused or missed. Um, this is any session you guys actually had scheduled with the client that they refused to attend or that they missed. Um, we want that number of sessions indicated there. The next section is um, when did the client start to refuse meeting with the clinician? Um, and this one you could kind of break down like, you know, clients meeting with the therapist, but are refusing to see the psychiatrist or only seeing the psychiatrist and refusing everybody else. So if there's a, if there's somebody they are working with and, but refusing everybody else, then we want that indication there. Um, just a general question. So we know, but not necessarily having to do with the petition is the client med compliant at that time. And then since the AOT assignment, um, has there been any hospitalizations? Has there been any incarcerations? Um, has there been any threats or acts of serious violence to herself or others? And then we do ask for numbers of totals in the last 48 to 36 months, um, which some of that would be easy to pull from the referral and the investigation you guys have already received when you got the referral, plus whatever else has happened while the client's been working with you. And then a rationale for requesting the petition. Um, so I like to kind of just say what has been occurring that the treatment team believes the petition is warranted at that time of the request. Um, and then the last question is how might the client benefit um, from a petition? So if a petition was granted, how would this impact the client's compliance or stability? Has the client had any treatment compliance when prior court or law enforcement was involved? Um, is it believed that the client um, that the black robe effect will have an impact on a client. So those are some questions to kind of think about when answering that um, last question. And then again, the bottom is just who to refer to. Um, for FSPs, you just need to refer all them. You need to forward all the information over to me. Um, so petition requests and filing process. Um, so the next slide is about the steps that you would take. Um, so provider does need to complete the petition request form submit the form of all the clinical progress notes over to the AOT FSB coordinator. Uh, the AOT FSB coordinator will review the packet and if there's any additional information that's needed or clarification, then um, the AOT FSB coordinator will reach out to you to ask the questions. Uh, the AOT FSB coordinator pre presents the petition to the AOT referral review committee the following Tuesday after, the after all the information is actually gathered. So if there was gaps then I'll need to wait to make sure I have everything answered before I present it to the committee. Um, the AOTFSB coordinator will update the provider on what the committee has to say and the recommendations. This is normally in the form of an email. 
and then the provider will coordinate a time, um, a time and date and a location for the AOT psychologist to meet with the provider and the client. So if the petition request was granted, the client will go onto our petition list and um, in the email that you receive of what the recommendation is, you'll be informed that to please move forward with um, reaching out to the AOT psychologist and scheduling a time that the psychologist can go out with you and, the, and to go see the client. Um, during this interaction, the psychologist will attempt to make a face-to-face -face contact with the client, um, request for the client to submit to an examination, and offer the client a treatment plan if it is appropriate. The AOT psychologist, upon assessing the client and determining the client meets the criteria uh, that the AOT program is recommended as the least restrictive treatment option and that the client has refused treatment, the AOT psychologist will have 10 days to complete the affidavit that includes the facts and reasons why the AOT candidate meets the AOT criteria, the psychologist's recommendation for AOT and provide an updated treatment plan. That was a whole big mouthful of stuff. Um, so basically the psychologist is gonna go out and assess, determine if the client does necessarily meet the criteria, does an examination, that's what the examination is for to determine that they meet the criteria. Um, if, the, if it is a recommendation that AOT is the least restrictive option and that the client does refuse the treatment plan, then the AOT psychologist can file the petition that she'll have, it's a, it's a female right now, she'll have 10 days to complete the affidavit. In the affidavit, um, she needs to include facts and reasons why the client meets our criteria, that it's her recommendation um, that the client will benefit from our program and will provide an updated treatment plan, the one that she provided to the client to sign. Um, if the client refuses to cooperate with the AOT psychologist's examination and refuses to accept the treatment plan, the psychologist has, um, and if the psychologist has reason to believe the client meets the criteria, um, she'll still prepare the affidavit, um, including the facts why, including the facts that she engaged the client, the client's refusal to submit to the examination, and that her belief that AOT, the AOT criteria is met she will be able to submit the affidavit to county council. Um, so the contact with the clients serves two purposes, either to do the examination and make the determination or to indicate the refusal of an examination and make a determination that um, criteria is met and AOT is needed and the affidavit could be filed under either, either way. Uh, county Council will re review the affidavit and associated documents and prepare a petition for the Director of Mental Health to sign. The Director of Mental Health reviews the petition and may sign the petition and return it to County Council. County Council will obtain the signed petition. The petition is filed with the courts and the court will set a hearing date and time no later than five court dates. Um, AOT court only occurs on Friday, so typically it will be scheduled for the same Friday that the, uh, the affidavit was signed. So if it was, sorry, if the affidavit was filed on like Monday or Tuesday, it will be on calendar that same Friday. Um, if it was signed like on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, if it was filed Wednesday, Thursday or Friday, it will be on for the following Friday. Um, so we sometimes go past five days or 
um, a little shorter than five days. Uh, please note that during the petition filing process, um, the AOTFSP provider who is involved with the client must continue to try and outreach and engage the client for services. So although we are going through with the petition process, you are still responsible for that individual and providing um, services and, and outreaching to the client to try to engage them back into services with you. So after everything is filed and we have a court date, our next step is notification and attendance in court. Um, every Monday morning, unless it's a holiday, I will go into our court portal, pull out our court calendar, and begin to email everybody who has a case that's gonna be on for that Friday. Um, if the client is scheduled for a hearing, then um, I'll do a double. So if it's a brand new hearing, client's on calendar for the first time or maybe second or third time, but we're trying to have the petition hearing, um, I will reach out to you on the first time, verify that we have the most current address for the client, and then I will send over that address to county counsel who will assign a process server to serve the client with a notification of hearing. Um, if it is their second or third hearing, then I won't need to check with you on the address. But if there has been a change in the placement, then it would be best that you guys notify me about any changes of address. Um, the client will be notified of each petition hearing. Um, just to clarify, um, as we move along in the slides, petition hearing will be what I describe as the hearing to have the court make a ruling on the petition. Then we have progress report hearings, um, which are, is another step, uh, category. So for the petition hearing, um, there may be more than one because we might not be able to get the client into court on the first try. Um, each time the client has a petition hearing scheduled, the client will need to be served with a notification of hearing that they have court. Um, we're using a process server that the county council has set up. So we just need to verify the client's addresses. Now, if the client is homeless, um, we may actually need to go out um, our team, probably with a member of your team to go notify the client of court instead, um, as it may be more difficult for a process server to notify somebody who is homeless. Provider will still need to uh, contact their clients that week and inquire with them about the hearing, if they're gonna attend the hearing and if they need transportation to court, you guys are to make any arrangements for transportation if it is needed. Um, so although somebody else is serving them, you guys still need to speak to them about court and just identify that um, whether or not they're gonna come so we know what the next step is and um, assist with any transportation if needed. And, and lastly, the provider does need to appear in court with the client. So if client is going to appear, we do expect that the provider is also there with them, um, even if you don't come together. On another note, um, at this time with some of the changes that are happening, uh, Providers, for the initial petition, um, the petition is done by the AOT program, the Outreach and Engagement Team. Our psychologist typically, maybe one of those, will 
be the individual who writes the, the affidavit. Um, so for the initial one, our DMH is responsible for, for the petition itself, but we may need pro the provider who's engaged with the client to testify still in court if, a test if testifying needs to be done. Um, with the clients who meet criteria for hospitalizations, um, we don't have a lot of issues proving the point of hospitalization. We have the records to show that the client has an episode as it relates to being hospitalized. We do have some difficulty as it relates to the criteria for threats. Um, we need to be able to prove that the, the threat we're identifying um, did exist or, or, or did happen, I guess. Um, and so there's some difficulty with proving that point at this time. And what we're running into is um, a hearsay ruling that the information we have is based on hearsay and with hearsay, um, we're typically rude against, um, or, or I guess better ways to say it, the public defender objects to, to the hearsay for us. Uh, so we sometimes need to bring in providers who may have actually witnessed the incident happen um, to testify to the incident so that we can um, get over the hearsay ruling. So, uh, we want you there as a support to the client, but we also want you there because there may be things that come up in which we might need you to potentially testify. Um, but usually if we need you to testify, we already know that beforehand and we're preparing you and we're preparing um, county council as it relates to that. Also with that, um, I'm trying to think if I have this on a slide somewhere else. So I might repeat this later on. But also with the, the provider appearing in court, we would also need them to bring the clinical documentation. Um, the clinical documentation as it relates to the progress notes, because the progress notes are what assists in the writing of the declaration. Um, so we ask for you guys to email your notes and to um, bring a hard copy of your notes to court at the moment due to COVID. Um, when COVID is all done with, we might not need you to bring a hard copy anymore. It might be easier um, for a hard copy to be brought by county council, but that's to be determined. Um, but we, we need you in court for, for several reasons. One, uh, documentation. Two, we might need you to testify. And then three, as a support um, when it comes to the actual petition hearing. Petition findings. Um, there are three potential petition findings as we move along um, through our court process. I'm sorry, I'm just taking a minute to kind of make sure I captured everything. Uh, so actually, before I go through petition findings, I, I want to take another step back um, in regards to the court process. So we We've done the filing, we have the court dates, um, we notify the client, we serve them so that they're, they're properly served and we can say that they were served to the court and um, we try to bring them in. Now, to move on in our process, um, 
several things does need to occur. Um, we need to try to bring them into court for one. And that could take several attempts um, to bring them in. And dependent on whether or not they were, um, whether or not they were examined um, is how we're going to determine what the next step is. So I just want to kind of give a fair warning. Um, it is a process. It's not something that occurs right away. You know, they don't get on the calendar and they don't get petitioned, um, you know, within that week. This typically is a process for us. And, it, and at the moment, it is taking several steps to move along in this process. So as I, I mentioned earlier, the client can be scheduled for a petition hearing uh, on several occasions um, as we move along in the process and they will be served on each occasion. Um, we try to collaborate with you guys to make sure we know what the plan is for that Friday. So that way you don't waste your time coming to court if the client's saying they're not gonna come to court, but then we all wanna make sure you're there when the client is going to be there. Uh, so Tina, did you wanna to talk to the group at all, if anything? Sure, um, good morning everyone, all 104 of you. Um, so interesting to do these things for you. So thank you, first of all, um, Monique, I'm sure you know, I haven't been able to be on the entire uh, training, but I know you're an amazing trainer. And thank, thank you to UCLA and Linda for bringing this together. I, I just wanted to come on. I didn't have an opportunity at the beginning of the training to, to step in and um, say a little bit about why uh, this is important. I know this is a lot of information that you're receiving today about AOT and the petition process and um, just the program in general. And I was looking through the chat, which sort of reinforced the reason for, for um, me being here for a few minutes. Um, because I'm sure you're all wondering, well, AOT exists as a separate program and they have FSP and we have FSP. And so why is it that we have to be here? And um, I know that there have been questions about um, whether or not a particular provider has AOT and its contract, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wanted to say to all of you for the amazing work that you do, because I know this is largely um, line staff and supervisors. First of all, thank you. Um, second of all, as I'm sure Monique and Linda covered, you know, AOT is a statutory uh, program, the FSP portion also being a requirement for um, availability in the statute. What we have found over the years is I'm sure that you're seeing as well is there's a large demand, uh, increasing demand for FSP services. And, you know, with the FSP transformation that the department is undergoing currently, you know, the reality is that um, the standard of care that you provide as FSP service providers is consistent uh, with AOT. Um, the difference being previously the, the caseload ratio of 10 to 1 versus 12 to 1 for some FSP programs and 15 to 1 for other FSP programs. And part of the transformation is changing that and making it sort of even playing field across the board of 10 to one. The second issue is, is making sure that those who need AOT, FSP, like they need FSP level of care, are able to get that level of care, regardless of 
whether or not there are specific designated AOT um, FSP slots available, because the truth is what we're really looking at is the level of care and then some specific requirements around reporting and supporting a client with, um, with reporting out to the court and the petition process, et cetera, um, if they are ordered into AOT um, FSP or if they enter into a voluntary settle agreement, a set, um, settlement agreement. So that's really what this is about. It very much falls in line with the department's um, FSP transformation which essentially provides um, a level playing field for FSP uh, without the different flavors and brands of this, you know, homeless FSP, forensic FSP, et cetera, because we know our clients exist across, uh, you know, multiple different uh, qualifications, right? Um, and so there's that intersectionality between what qualifies one client for AOT versus forensic versus except, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so the, it's about, you know, creating um, sufficient access that we shouldn't have waiting lists for a client who's in AOT to get into an FSP program if we other ha otherwise have FSP slots available in our system of care. And then the other is making sure that all of our FSPs are equipped with providing proper clinical support uh, and proper and proper um, specialty support for any client that you're working with. Um, because you may have a client that has a forensic background. We want to make sure our providers have that training uh, and have the capacity to manage a forensic client. You may have a client that's been ordered uh, by, uh, by petition uh, to AOT or maybe have entered into a voluntary settlement agreement. You may have a client who has multiple hospitalizations and how do you deal with that? How do you manage someone who's uh, repeatedly in the jail or repeatedly in the hospital, et cetera? We as a department recognize our obligation to provide that training and support for you to be able to serve whoever comes to your door with whatever needs uh, for FSP services. You have the clinical foundation, now we are providing the additional supports for you to do all that's being asked of you. So we thank you very much uh, for taking the time to be at this training today. And just know that the department is here to continue to support you in the work that you do across the board with all clients. Latina, may I ask you a question? Sure. So one of the questions we got asked was, what is the department doing? Is the department doing anything to get hospitals to, um, basically be more cooperative. I'm trying to find the exact question, but basically to be more cooperative when, when anybody who's seeing the client uh, sends the client or the, or the client gets hospitalized. What has the department done to reach out to hospitals and mandate that they work with AOT providers when clients are hospitalized? It's really challenging for agencies to shoulder the liability of these clients only to have the hospital stonewall us with HIPAA and refuse to release in information. This is from Emily James at STEPA. Uh, okay, thank you for that question, Emily. Uh, and I'll try to I'll try to answer because I think it's it's multi-layered, right? Like because HIPAA allows for continuity of care discussion, and I think sometimes as providers, 
um, we get very stuck or you know, it sounds like you've had that experience with, you know, people get very stuck in the uh, HIPAA component without understanding the full scope of HIPAA, right? It's a continuity of care issue and, and, and HIPAA does allow for communications in that regard. I will say one of the things that the department um, is doing is um, increasing um, our hospital liaison services in every um, service area and ensuring, I, I believe we just got um, psychologist positions for every service area um, to have a hospital liaison that works in conjunction with your service area administrative office. And their job is really to make that, lit, that bridge and that um, create like clarification on things uh, like that and to support both our directly operated clinics and our contract agencies with these kinds of troubleshooting questions, uh, you know, um, as, as well as making sure that clients get effectively linked. And we know right now during COVID, um, it presents some unique challenges uh, when a client is hospitalized um, with regard to connecting uh, to them uh, either in person uh, as well as, as on the phone. Um, so I, I do, I guess the, the short answer to your long question is, uh, or the long answer to your short question, is the department is working uh, in that regard to create um, hospital liaisons um, that will provide some clarity and work very closely with our FSP navigation teams, our service area administration, to shore up those kinds of uh, gaps in understanding and gaps in services. I, I don't imagine, I, part of what we're struggling with now is, is the hiring freeze countywide uh, for such positions, uh, but many of the service areas already have them in place. What I would encourage you to do is if you're having um, struggles with a particular hospital in your area is to contact your service area navigator um, and let them know. Um, and if there is a hospital liaison, because I don't know that they're in every service area, but if there is a hospital liaison, the navigator works with that hospital liaison, they work as a team um, and probably attend your impact meetings in your service area. Um, and I would, I would really encourage you to work with them to troubleshoot that directly because we do really want to break down those, those barriers um, because they're unnecessary and they, you know, they create havoc um, with regard to providing appropriate care to your clients. Bettina, um, could you speak about FSP transformation that keeps being mentioned? Um, yeah, I'll do my best and maybe, uh, maybe Lisa Wong can come to your next, uh, in this series of training to talk about the FSP transformation as a whole. I think what one, uh, I guess my summary of the FSP transformation is when FSP was started in LA County with the passage of MHSA, I believe it was in 2006. There, was, uh, there were certain standards that were set in place in terms of outcomes, in terms of target population, in terms of expectation around you know, how frequently we see clients, after hours, caseloads, all of that. Over the years, we have, that, that has become diluted in many ways. We've created, as you know, the different flavors of FSP, uh, forensic, homeless, et cetera. And all of those populations were part of the original FSP you know, plan. Um, 
so what the department is doing now is really working on making sure that we get back to, for lack of a better word, fidelity uh, uh, to the model of FSP, both in terms of making sure that, that we are doing all that's expected in terms of um, the, you know, the service exhibits for the uh, various contractors, the frequency with which we see clients, how we set up uh, like on-call practice, et cetera and making sure that our providers are given the training that they need um, to, uh, to move forward with FSP programs in a meaningful way, um, including like having dedicated psychiatry, those kinds of things um, have, have really shifted over the years. So I, I guess, you know, it's, in some ways it's more about a rewind back to the original vision of FSP, uh, more so than um, you know, I think transformation is a little bit of a, a, a misnomer. We are certainly kind of leveling the playing field again, you know, with regard to uh, caseloads. There's money being added to the contracts so that you um, can do what you need to do for your FSP clients. Um, but more it's about getting back to brass tacks and doing, the, you know, making sure that we maintain um, the expectations with regard to FSP programs and the, the level of service we provide in this program. Uh, if we could get an updated list of liaisons countywide, uh, periodically that would be helpful. Uh, yes, I can mention that to Lisa Wong, our chief deputy, that that would be helpful to all of the providers and perhaps in your impact meetings, that could be a regular kind of distribution of, um, of that information for you. So I hope I answered the question about the, uh, the FSP transformation. Hello, Amy Bourgeon. Is there any other questions that I can help with? Okay. Thank you very much for sending the navigators uh, list. And if, I, I don't know if you could also send the, um, the hospital uh, liaisons list, if we could include that, maybe modify the list of the navigators to include the hospital liaisons. Okay. So thank you all very much for your time. Again, I, I really want to thank uh, Linda and Monique for this fabulous training. Um, I think you'll find it useful not only for, for AOT clients that may be referred to you, but for clients in general that are uh, justice involved in terms of the, you know, the process more generally and broadly speaking around um, supporting a client that may have court appearances that they need to follow up for that may or may not be related to AOT. So um, thank you very much. Um, and again, thank you for the amazing work that you do. Like FSP is not easy, not easy. So thank you. So there's one more question. And first I have to say all of this is Monique. It's not me at all. It's all Monique. But the question is while we're making this transition, how is the client staff ratio being addressed? So I'm wondering if you know that Latina. 
You know, I don't know the specifics of that with regard to managing the client-staff um, ratio. It was my understanding from my communications with our chief deputy, uh, Dr. Lisa Wong, and our um, contracts deputy, uh, Terry Boykins, that that piece was being addressed with our contractors on adding additional uh, dollars to the contracts so that you could make the necessary adjustments to move to a 10 to one ratio. Um, I can uh, circle back what, what I, I spoke to uh, Deputy Boykins before I jumped on this uh, Zoom training um, and she assured me that some additional information would be going out to all the contractors uh, to provide a little more clarity um, next week. And so I can make sure that that piece is uh, is addressed in that communication more more broad, more specifically. Thank you again, Monique. It is true, Monique is fabulous. <laughs> we love Monique. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'll get back. Um, I did want to apologize. I, I was kind of stuck in my words before Latina started talking, and it's more of um, the petition process is not very fluid. There is a lot of back and forth that goes on as we work through the process and, and trying to um, express what everything is to you guys and getting it on the slides is a little hard. So I'm, um, I may be doing some backtracking as we go through the next few slides just to make sure I capture everything. So please bear with me on, on that. Um, but I just wanna make sure you have it all. It's just a little hard to, to put it all in a sequence um, that's appropriate. So, um, with the petition process, um, again, we, we get the filing done, we get the notification for the hearings, and if we're able to get the client in court, um, we, if we get the client in court for a hearing, there are um, potentially three different outcomes um, to having the hearing. I won't even say that, sorry. If we, get the, if we get the court to hear the case, um, there are potentially three outcomes that can occur. We have a voluntary settlement agreement, which we usually call VSA. Um, this is where the client waives his or her rights to a hearing and chooses not to contest the, the AOT petition. County Council will prepare a proposed settlement agreement in which the AOT client signs and the VSA is filed with the court then the court grants the petition under the VSA being filed and the client is now court ordered into the AOT program on the client's technically free will because they voluntarily agreed. Um, there is no hearing or anything done in, in regards to testifying, it's just the filing of that document. The uh, VSA can be done prior to the court date, our public defender could go out to see the client during the week that the client is scheduled for court, talk to them and convince the client to sign it. Then they bring it into court for that Friday and get it filed. Or it could occur prior to court that, that, um, that afternoon, that Friday, or while the client is there for that court date in the courtroom, it could get signed. Um, so that, that is one. The client signs a VSA and is now court ordered into our program. The second is that is what we call petition sustained. The client contests the petition leading to a contest hearing to occur. The court establishes on the record the appearances and relevant factors for commencing the hearing. The licensed mental health provider 
testifies on the record. This is an individual who uh, wrote the declaration. And um, if the court finds the ALT criteria is met, the court may order the client to follow some or all of the recommended treatment plan for an initial period of up to six months. Um, this is our second option in how we get a client to be court ordered into the program. Um, they contest, we have a hearing, they get to testify, our affiant gets to testify, and then the court makes a ruling on everything that they heard and all the documents they got to, that was filed um, to the court, um, they get to review it. The documents that are filed with the court, it is the declaration, it's the AOT referral, it's the AOT initial investigation, and the treatment plan. So the, the judge has the ability to review all four of those documents and then also hear the testifying to make a decision. The last uh, potential finding is that the court uh, hears all the testifying, reviews the four documents, and does not grant the petition. Um, as of today, we have lost four cases. I believe I'm not misspeaking. Um, we have lost four cases in, in the past five years. Um, so for the most part, most of our cases are granted to us and they've been lost for different various reasons. Um, but for the most part, again, we do get them all granted. Uh, the VSA has the same legal force as the petition sustained. So the client who, who is agreed to the AOT program under a VSA or because the, the court ruled in favor of the petition after hearing the testifying, there, there's the same legal standing um, and enforcement on both levels. Um, so here is just a sample for you guys to see. This is the actual court order ordering the individual into the AOT program after the petition was sustained. Um, it's called Welfare Institution Code 5346 D5 B and E, um, basically saying that the criteria was met um, and that the client is now ordered to participate in the in a program, um, so it indicates that the client by their name is, is ordered to participate in a program for no more than 180 days, and it provides a date in which the petition would terminate. The date, of, the date in which the petition terminates is based on the court. So although it's a 180 days, because the AOT court only falls on Friday, we can be a few days short of 180 days, but never longer. Um, the candidate shall participate in, in assisted outpatient treatment services as outlined in the treatment program until the day in which the petition is terminated is the second order. Uh, the third order is that the candidate shall participate in mental health services provided to the candidate by an appropriate FSP and or ERS contracted service provider. Uh, the fourth order is that the LA County Department of Mental Health and Mental Health Provider at intervals of not less than 60 days during the period of this order shall file a report within the court affirming the candidate continues to meet the criteria for AOT services and status of progress. Um, and then it provides the first day of the progress, the first progress hearing date. Um, we don't so much substantiate that the client meets the criteria, but the progress reports are due and um, we can never go past 60 days without providing a progress report on the client. Um, and then the fifth order is that LA County Department of Mental Health shall promptly inform the court and counsel for candidate in writing if candidate fails to comply with the court's order. Um, so this is the order. You guys do receive this order um, once we have received it ourselves.
the second order here is the voluntary settlement agreement in which the client signs. So if the client is willing to sign the, uh, the VSA after the public defender has spoken to them, um, this is what county council has drawn up and this is what we ask the client to sign. Um, basically, the client is agreeing to volu uh, voluntarily agreeing to the AOT program. Um, talking about development by a uh, treatment plan that was developed by a community-based program in which the client will participate in, their understanding that they've been explained about the treatment plan and the services, uh, that they understand that they have a right to be represented by counsel, they agree to waive the hearing on the petition so they're not contesting the petition, uh, candidate agrees to accept the AOT for a period of 180 days not to exceed, uh, the candidate has been advised that, the, that they should, sorry, candidate has been advised that should candidate fail to comply with treatment according to the agreement, notification of non-compliance shall be given to the court. Um, and then candidate has been advised that once the court approves this agreement, the court will order periodical reports to monitor the client's progress. And then in regards to the termination date for AOT services will not exceed six months um, from the date of the agreement. So again, client signs and then the client and the public defender who is a representative of the client. All our clients have the same public defender who's representing them within the AOT program. So AOTLA, uh, here's the workflow continued. Um, we progressed it already twice. Um, I'm going over this workflow with you guys. I'm going to talk about some of the areas in which we might hit um, hit some walls, but we know how to get around them when it depends on trying to get the client's court ordered. Um, so again, just to kind of recap everything, um, we identify that there's an appropriate referral source when a referral is made to us, our clinicians review the referral and present it to the committee. We determine if there's a criteria met. If there's no criteria, we refer them to other services or back to the re referring party if it's a, a mental health treatment provider. If they do meet criteria, we outreach them for no more, no less than 30 days. Um, if they voluntarily agree to services, uh, then the outreach and engagement team refer them to the AOT coordinators for FSP or ERS linkage. And then from there, the referred provider, the outreach team meets with the client um, for a warm handoff. If the client does not agree to voluntary mental health treatment, then we proceed with um, the court petition initiated by the outreach team or by you guys if the client has already been enrolled and is now refusing services. Um, county counsel will review and file the petition, copying petition rights and public defender. The court sets a hearing date. And then the next question will be, did the individual appear in court or not after they were properly served? Um, so in order, so the first thing I want to step back on is that we cannot proceed with the court process if the client has not been properly served. Um, so again, we have a process server and we wanna ensure that the clients were properly served so we can go into court on that first day or any subs subsequent days and indicate that the client has been noticed of their hearing. If they have not, we have to continue the hearing until we are able to notify them of their hearing. So if they, um, did not appear in, okay, I'm going to take the easier route. If they did appear in court, um, the court 
either the client signs a VSA, it gets filed, and they are now court ordered to our program. If the client does not sign a VSA and they contest the petition, then we have the hearing in which um, our affiant testifies, the client gets to testify, and then the judge makes a ruling. The judge ruling can be that they deny the petition and then the client is closed with an AOT. Um, if the court rules in our favor and grants us the petition, then the next step would be to make a referral for FSP or ERS and then complete the handoff to the provider. Now, if the client does not appear in court after the notification, and all we do is one proper notification. So after the first proper notification, if the client does not come into court, the next question we need to ask was, was the client examined? Um, so if you guys might remember back to when I said, when the AOT psychologist goes out, they're gonna try to examine the individual. They can file the petition if they examine the individual, but they can also file the petition if they attempted and the client did not consent to the examination. So if the client was examined, um, so the question is, is a was the client examined? If it is a yes um, that the client was examined, we can move forward and request that the court has the hearing in absentee of the client. So we will move forward with proceeding with having our um, psychologist testify in court to the facts on the declaration and allowing the judge to make a ruling without the client present and without the client's testimony. And then again, the, the judge makes a ruling, grants it or does not grant it. Now, if the client was not examined, then we are going to ask on that first hearing in which the client does not show after being properly served, we're gonna ask, our county counsel is going to ask for a 5346D3 for an evaluation of the client. Um, we're asking for the court to ask, um, they cannot order it, it's an ask for the client to submit to an examination. Uh, the court will hopefully grant that order. And then our AOT psychologist um, will go back out. Um, I wanna indicate that our team will go back out. Um, so if you guys are the ones that initiated the petition request, it's gonna be our team, the outreach team, who will go back out um, that following week, meet with the client, and ask the client to submit to an examination. Inform them that they have, um, that there is an order from the court that's asking them to submit to an examination and they will ask them the question, will you submit to a mental health examination? Um, from there, the client gets to say yes or no. If the client says yes, then we get to go back to court, tell them they submit it and, and move on in our, in our process um, to potentially have the client in hearing in absentee if the client doesn't come back to court. Um, if the client says no, then we go back to court at the next um, hearing date, which is typically one week later, but sometimes it could be a few weeks further out depending on different reasons. So we'll go back to court. We will inform the court that we provided the client with uh, the order we ask them to, if they, we question if they will submit to an examination. 
and they told us no. So now County Council will ask the court to order the client to be hospitalized under a 5346 D3 for an examination. Um, if the court grants the ruling, then in the upcoming week um, or two, our team will go out and, and implement the 5346 D3 for an hospitalization to one of our LA County hospitals. We'll, we'll get into the, the D3 in, in a bit, but they will go out to try to hospitalize the individual for the purpose of the client being examined. The examination is to determine if the client meets criteria. Um, we know the historical facts of meeting the criteria, but we're probably looking for the symptomology that they have the mental health diagnosed and, and related to the deterioration. Um, and the benefit for the program. So that, that's the purpose of trying to get them hospital. That's the purpose of utilizing the hospitalization order when the client has not been examined um, based off of the, the affidavits that we had filed with the court. Uh, if the examination occurs, we will consult with the doctor who does um, We'll consult with the individual who does the examination at the hospital and then we'll come back to court to say they've been examined and then we can proceed on with the hearing again potentially in, ab in absentee of the client or maybe with the client present because while the clients are in the hospital historically the hospitals have worked with us in bringing the client to their next court date or putting them on webex which is a video conference so that the client can appear in front of the judge and we can have a hearing Anywhere through any of these steps following the first notification of the client for their court date, the public defender can talk to the client about signing a VSA and getting the, science, the client to sign a VSA. So at any point, a VSA is signed, it'll kind of stop what we're doing and, and move us along on the VSA track. Um, but if that doesn't happen, then we continue with our process. Eventually, the hope is to get to the point where the judge makes a ruling with the client in court having a um, testifying or with the client not being in court under an absentee um, and the judge making a, a ruling if granting the petition or not. I believe I covered that for you guys. I know it's a lot. Um, so let me see. So to talk about uh, Welfare Institution Code 5346 D3, this is a, a code specifically for the AOT program. Um, and this is for the portion of our program after we have filed a petition, but before a client has been court ordered um, into the program. So if the person who is the subject of the petition has refused to be examined by a licensed mental health treatment provider, the court may request that the person consent to an examination by a licensed mental health treatment provider appointed by the court. Again, it's typically our own psychologist or if it's the hospital. If the person who is the subject of the petition does not consent and the court finds reasonable cause to believe that the allegations in the petition are true, the court may order any person designated under Section 5150 to take into custody the person who is the subject of the petition and transport him or her or cause him or her to be transported to a hospital for examination by a licensed mental health treatment provider as soon as is practicable. So under this order, the detention of the person is 
who is the subject of the petition under the order may not exceed 72 hours. So they may not be hospitalized for more than 72 hours under this order. Um, if the examination is performed by another licensed mental health treatment provider, that treatment provider may consult with our affiant um, regarding if the client meets the criteria for AOT. This is what the 5346D3 order looks like for the examination. Um, it's basically indicating that the client refused, um, the client was notified, refused to come in, and that the court is asking for the client to, to submit to an examination. And it's also indicating in the last paragraph that if the client didn't, it could result in a hospitalization. Now, this is the order as it relates to the client being hospitalized. Um, again, it indicates you know, them, be, them being notified, they're not being cooperative. Um, in the submission of the examination and that uh, involuntary. Um, the second page on the top, it indicates um, with this specific order that law enforcement is able to assist in taking into custody, uh, taking the client into custody for transport to the hospital and if necessary to use objectively reasonable force. Now, you guys are all FSP providers. I'm sure you're all aware that sometimes it has been difficult to get our clients on gurneys when you believe they meet 5150 criteria and you utilize police to assist you um, if necessary, if there's any, um, any concern related to safety on your behalf or for the client due to their behavior. And, and sometimes uh, police are not able to assist um, due to their own protocols. This order, that specific line there, um, allows us to call police and request their assistance to ensure that the client um, does get transported to the hospital based off of this order. Um, that line was actually provided to us with the assistance of LA um, Department, LA Department of Sheriffs and uh, LAPD, uh, I think it was like lieutenants, Linda can correct me. Um, they provide us with this language so that they're, so that they believe that uh, officers would assist us, and, and they do. Um, so under this order, uh, the candidate uh, can be held for 72 hours for a psychiatric evaluation and examination of any LPS designated facility. So if by chance, while the client is hospitalized under this order, it's determined that the client meets criteria for 5150, the 5150 will take over um, and this order will stop and the client will be kept at the hospital under the 5150 and anything that might proceed afterwards. Um, otherwise, if there is no need for the client to be hospitalized under a 5150 or even for medical reasons, this order should not exceed 72 hours. Uh, if in the opinion of the treating psychiatrist, it is beneficial for the client, maybe psychiatrically medicated both for treatment and an emergency situation. So it does allow for medication um, if deemed necessary. The examining psychiatrist or licensed mental health provider may consult with the licensed mental health provider whose affidavit accompanied the ALT petition. So again, we want to make sure that they did examine the client. Um, and then it indicates the day that the, that the hearing has been continued to. Sometimes we leave that blank because we know some clients may be difficult to get a hold of or may be difficult to make arrangements with law enforcement beforehand. Um, 
currently sheriffs are asking for us to give them a two day notification on any of these types of orders so that they can assist us. So we, we, we lately we've been leaving the continued date blank. Although we have a court date for the client to come back, the order itself is left blank in case we um, are not successful by the next court date and, and instead of asking for another order. And then lastly, the LPS designated facility performing the examination or AOT is to transport the candidate to court for the next hearing. So again, we are asking that the hospital, um, if the client remains there for the next hearing, that they transport the individual. Um, this order, historically, we have liked to implement on a Wednesday prior to the client's court date, because again, we are asking for them to transport to the client and they cannot exceed 72 hours of holding the client under this order. So we try to implement it on a Wednesday. Um, it gives the hospital enough time to examine the client, determine if 5150 criteria is met, if there's any safety risk and allow them to set up um, transportation or right now because of COVID WebEx, um, so it gives them that, you know, two days before the court to kind of make any arrangements that need to be made so that they can assist us with having the client present. Um, what happens if the client refuses to come to court? So again, we properly serve them and now client is refusing. Um, so as I went through the, the flow, you know, the first question is kind of, was the notification of hearing served? Uh, 10 days prior to the filing of the petition was a client examined by the licensed mental health treatment provider who is the affidavit of the petition. And then um, has, the, has the PED offered the client a VSA? You know, so if the client, if, if the VSA is assigned then it kind of stops and we don't even need the client to be present at that moment. Um, and did the client consent to a mental health examination? So if they refuse to come to court, these are the several questions that we need to ask to figure out what our next step is. And I, I kind of went through these steps um, as I worked through the workflow. So provider responsibilities for a petition client. Um, so providers are to engage a client for services, even if the client is declining services as there is a court order for the AOT program. So as I talked earlier, um, once a client is court ordered, if the client consents or doesn't consent, you as a provider are still gonna be referred to refer this client and you are still expected to engage them and get them into services. Um, you, you'll still need to kind of come to court. You need to work with them and see them on a weekly basis and, and try to get them to work with your team. Um, you need to provide transport of the client to court if necessary, if they ha don't have their own means to transport themselves. You need to attend court with them. We do like that, you know, um, the clinician or I guess the case manager to come uh, for a while, some agencies had like just a driver that was bringing the client. We really want somebody who's part of the clinical team to appear in court with them in the courtroom. Um, if in case there's any questions, um, any follow up that needs to be done. And so that way we can get answers while we're in the courtroom. And again, to provide support to the client while they're in the courtroom. For some clients, the court process is, is, is um, anxiety inducing. You guys need to complete the progress report and email it to the AOT FSP coordinator. Um, I'll talk more about the progress report on day three and, and uh, what it looks like and what your expectations are of when it needs to be submitted. 
Um, you need to provide status changes such as hospitalizations, incarcerations, changes in placement, AWOL, and non-compliance with treatment as they occur. So you would email me with any of these changes as they occur. Again, take care of what needs to be taken care of, but please within 24 hours, provide me an update. Non-compliance is a little different because that's a buildup, but as soon as you, you are well aware that there is full-on non-compliance of the client, please make sure you're, you're reporting it. Provider can request for the client to be placed on the calendar if there is a non-compliance concern or there is um, maybe some major safety risk and, and you want it to be addressed because you think um, by talking to the court it might help the client. Um, you can request for the client to be put on a court order. So maybe their next progress hearing is a month away and there's issues right now. So you can ask. We might not be able to do it for that same week you're asking, but we definitely can get the client back on the calendar. Um, or sometimes, depending on the need, uh, county councils just says bring them in, you know, and we'll, and we'll handle it that day. Um, so there are some ways to up the court date if necessary. Uh, the provider is the provider needs to recommend for a six-month termination date regarding allowing for the termination to uh, terminate or for it to extend. Sorry, this language is a little weird here. Um, so again, all petitions terminate within 180 days are not able to exceed. So prior to the termination date, um, you'll be outreached and asked, what, what do you want to do with this case? What do you believe is needed? And you need to make a recommendation. Your treatment team needs to make a recommendation on what you think is the next phase. On day three, we'll talk more about um, the termination and the extension of petitions and what needs to be done. Providers are also requested to complete the extension declaration and testify in court if needed for the extension hearing. Again, this is something that we'll talk more on day three about. Um, but if your recommendation as a treatment team is to extend the petition, you believe that the, that the client still needs to be petitioned, um, you guys will be now the writer of the petition that gets filed with the court and you, um, you guys will need to testify in the court if the client contests and does not sign a VSA. I, again, I'll talk more in detail about um, what that process is like, what the rec um, an explanation of what the recommendations might be and justification for the different recommendations and um, what the writing process is like and you'll be given an opportunity to, to see some of that material and even try it out on day three. Um, so Welfare Institution Code 50, um, 5346F. This is one more code that is specific to the AOT program. So another responsibility of uh, an FSP provider who has a petition client is the request for a 5346F. Um, so the Welfare Institute for 5346F is somewhat similar to the D3, except this one occurs after the client has been court-ordered into mental health treatment through the AOT program. Um, so if in the clinical judgment of a licensed mental health treatment provider, which would be your agency staff, the person who is the subject of the petition has failed or has refused to comply with the treatment order by the court, and in the clinical judgment of the licensed mental health treatment provider, Efforts were made to solicit compliance and in the clinical judgment of the licensed mental health treatment provider, the person may be in need of involuntary admission to a hospital for evaluation. 
the provider may request that the person designated under Section 5150 take into custody the person who is the subject of the petition and transport him or her or cause him or her to be transported to a hospital to be held up to 72 hours for examination by a licensed mental health treatment provider to determine if the person is in need of treatment persistent to Section 5150. Any continued involuntary retention in a hospital beyond the initial 72-hour period shall be persistent to Section 5150. Um, if any time during the 72-hour period the person is determined to not meet the criteria for criteria of Section 5150 and does not agree to stay in a hospital as a voluntary patient, he or she shall be released and any subsequent involuntary detention in a hospital shall be persistent to Section 5150. Um, failure to comply with an order of ALT alone may not be grounds for involuntary civil, civil commitment or a finding that the person who is the subject of the petition is not in content of court. Um, so with this order, you guys as a provider can request from the court to issue a 5346F, which will lead to the client being hospitalized by someone who is um, LPS designated within your own team. In order to make this request, the client needs to not be engaged in treatment. Um, they need to be refusing the treatment plan you guys provided them, refusing your engagement when you go out there, and they need to be considered to be deteriorating. Um, this is an and, so both things need to be in play to make this request. And a non-compliance for treatment is not solely based off of not taking medication. Um, medication is not ordered through the ALT program, so a lack of participating in that portion of a treatment plan will not uh, be accepted to, to indicate a lack of compliance with the treatment. Um, so we'll, I'll just continue this one tomorrow, and I believe it has some time left over tomorrow. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about the Welfare Institution Code. I think this was pretty much my last um, entry for the day. But. Uh, we'll end there and we'll pick up back tomorrow um, with the ending pieces of the petition and then just um, the process for clients while they're enrolled and then we'll have day three next Wednesday. So thank you guys for participating.